If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. And if you're just joining us today, we're in the midst of our, our Advent series. And last week was Bad News Sunday. We kind of talked about the bad news, and we started in the book of Genesis. We looked at chapter 6, and we started at the beginning of the story because it doesn't work to start in the middle of a story. And so we began at the beginning, and we talked about the heart of the issue. And what I said was that the heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. And so really, we looked last week that the bad news is the intent of our own hearts by which we've grieved the heart of God and put our hope in the wrong place. And this was important for us to understand because we also acknowledge that if we don't understand the grief in the heart of God, then we won't understand the glory of the story of that baby in a manger. That's really important for us to understand. And so now as we have talked about our need, the issue of the heart, this weekend we're looking at the promise given through our coming Messiah, Jesus. And so the text that we're going to look at this morning, that we're going to look at that was written around seven to 800 years before the birth of Jesus. And so God brings a message of hope through the prophet Isaiah. And the same hope that God promises Israel, he desires to extend to us as well. And so in the midst of a dark season, God gives Israel a wonderful promise about what was to come. He gives a wonderful promise about what was to come. And, and, and here's the thing. Some of us right now are walking through a dark season. Some of you feel like you are without hope. You feel like what you are walking through is the worst time of your life. And especially what Christmas tends to do is really kind of heighten that. So this season that's supposed to be a, a time of joy, for many it's a time of sadness and depression. And, and, and many of the reasons why is because it, it, it magnifies people's sorrows. And, and so some of the things happen that are that those that have financial difficulties, they then realize this more so than in any other time in their life. That those who have lost loved ones sense their loss even more. They feel that loneliness. They're, they're lonelier than they ever have felt. And sometimes family members have fallen outs with one another. And, and through that, then refuse to come home for the holidays. And refuse to be with the family. And so the pain of their absence is heightened during that season. And so during this season that tends to be all about celebration and, and joy... Many people are going to go through a time of darkness. They're going to go through a time of hopelessness and brokenness. And so for you, you may have come in this morning feeling much of what I just mentioned. But to this morning, as we've looked first at the, at the bad news, the condition of our heart this morning, I have good news for you. I have good news that we will look at in Scripture because what we're going to see and really unpack from our text this morning is that in the midst of darkness and depravity, our God has promised a great light that will come to give us life. So those are, those are your fill-in-the-blanks as we go to read our text, that in the midst of darkness and depravity, our God has promised a great light that will come to give us life. And so now we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulders, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So when the Isaiah, or when the prophet Isaiah spoke the words of this text, the people of Israel had gone through a very dark and difficult time. And, and we need to understand that rightly, that because of their own sin and their rebellion against God, God then allowed the mighty kingdom of Assyria to come against the northern kingdom of Israel and totally devastate it. So in fact, the northern kingdom ceased to be a country by this takeover. So many lost their lives, many lost their homes, and they lost their whole country. But even in wrath, God remembers his mercy. But God gave the prophet Isaiah in this text a marvelous vision of Israel's restoration and their redemption. That Isaiah said that God would turn their darkness into light, their sorrow into joy, and their captivity into freedom. And so remember, what we need to understand about this darkness and light, when when we talk about darkness... We're not talking about a physical darkness as though if all the lights in the room were off and that's the darkness in the text. It's, it's rather a spiritual darkness that Isaiah is referring to. And really when we think rightly about darkness, darkness causes us to stumble, to fall. It causes injury to ourselves and to others. And so this is what Isaiah is using as an illustration of spiritual darkness And so it's to symbolize the sin and the evil and and even the ignorance. And so those in darkness are said to be ignorant of the truths of God and God's revelation. They're ignorant of their own sin, their, their own lost condition. They don't know God and they don't know the truth about what it means to live a life in Christ. And so this is why last week we we talked about how our big problem is not first a behavioral problem, right? That if our problem was only that occasionally we behave in the wrong ways, then we could probably then reform ourselves. If there was just one or two behavioral problems, we could probably find a way to reform that and do better. But our problem is deeper than behavior. Our problem is a heart problem. And so because we cannot do for ourselves what needs to be done, we cannot drive out darkness with darkness. Only light can do that. And so now through the fulfilled promise of our Savior, Jesus, we are no longer defaulted to be in darkness. There is hope and a promise of light. And so in verse 2, as Isaiah begins this prophecy, Isaiah shows us the promise of what is to come because of God and his desire for us. That he says in verse 2 that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
And so God has promised a great light, a a light that will drive out darkness, that will turn sorrow into joy and captivity into freedom. And that light is Jesus. And so in verses three through five, Isaiah then gives a series of promises that will happen to Isaiah someday. And and here's what we need to understand. They are spoken here in the prophetic perfect tense. And what that means is that these promises are so sure they they are spoken of as if they had already been fulfilled. And so notice the promises that God made to Israel, that the nations will be multiplied, joy will increase, there will be rejoicing, there will be freedom from captivity, the king will reign on his rightful throne. And so here's all of the things you can imagine in the midst of captivity, in the midst of darkness, for a lot of us, we hear the message of hope, but we connect it in our mind, but not in our hearts. It's sometimes so easy for us to just go, I get that in my head, but I just can't have that resonate in my heart. And so Isaiah is giving a prophecy that is saying, listen, hope is coming. Light will shine in the darkness. And in fact, that darkness will not be overcome by it. And so with the birth of the Messiah, great blessings would come. That the Messiah would give light to all who are in the darkness and all who are under the sentence of death of spiritual death. But really, when it came to the arrival of the Messiah, the the people of Israel, they were waiting for their king with their own agendas. They were waiting for their Messiah with their own agendas. And I think this is not something we can disconnect and go, oh, those people in the Bible back in the day, because I think often we, we think of God in our own agenda. We think of Jesus as Messiah with our own agenda. And so here... Here, Israel is is waiting with their own agendas for the Messiah to come. They're planning in their own ways on how and, and, and why he'd come, how he would come, and they expected a king. But they expected a king their way. They planned for him to establish a kingdom, but an earthly kingdom, to be the king that they wanted him to be. But when Jesus came, he didn't come to meet their wants. He came to meet their need. This is the Jesus that has come and will come again, who has not come to meet your want, but to meet your need. That you would be set free from the patterns of sin and separation from God. That he, in fact, came into the world to bring light into the darkness. But it was with their own ideas and and understanding that they were making space and prioritizing him. This is how we want the Messiah to come. And so much that that when he came, some didn't even see him. They were so focused, in fact, on their own darkness and their own method and their own way that they didn't see him. But let me remind you that Jesus didn't come to meet our want and to fit into a space that we think would be best for him. He stepped into a space completely invading it to to fill the greatest need for us himself. And so as John opens his gospel letter in John chapter 1, the first five verses, he really brings clarity. Here is the prophecy being fulfilled, saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all the things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so this is the, the hope that John shares, that Jesus is the light that has come into the world to give life to men. Now, this, this text was incredibly important and relevant for people to hear who were waiting for their coming Messiah because this is bringing their attention to the promise that was being fulfilled now through Jesus, that Jesus is the great light, that he is the promised Messiah come to invade darkness, that he is the child that is born. He's the son that is given, and he is the presence of God manifested perfectly in the flesh. And so, in fact, if you go back and you study John chapter 1, verse 14, when it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that is echoing out of Exodus 33 when Moses sets up a temple with the presence of God. And if you look at that verbiage rightly in the proper language, when it says that, that the word became flesh and dwelt, it means that God set up camp here on earth and made his presence perfectly known to you. So it's not just that he brought a little light into the darkness. No, no, no. He perfectly set up his presence through Jesus, the fulfillment of all prophecy that darkness would be gone and light would come. And so this prophecy, this child, this promise is wonderful. And in verse 6 in in Isaiah's prophecy, there are four names that he describes Jesus with. And one of the four names Isaiah gives for the coming Messiah is Wonderful Counselor. And the name Wonderful is both a title and a description of the Messiah, but what does Wonderful really mean? See, the fact that Isaiah is calling the Messiah the Wonderful Counselor really indicates the kind of character this coming king has. And so the word Wonderful in this passage literally means that it's incomprehensible that the Messiah will cause us to be full of wonder. And so really for us, there's, in, the, in the Western church, there tends to be a difficulty in understanding how weighty and, and, and almost hard to grasp that is because of our normal conversations today. That we say things are wonderful if they are pleasant or lovely or, or likable. So you may walk into a room and see it all Christmas decorated and you go, that's wonderful, right? And you see clearly what in fact is wonderful. Some of you men, you've worked on your trucks and, you, and you've bought all these things and you look at your truck and you go, that is wonderful, right? So there's all of these things that we in fact would say are wonderful, but Jesus is wonderful in a way that is staggering and overwhelming to the mind. That it's incomprehensible for you to fully understand the truth that he is a wonderful counselor. And so the second part of the Messiah's title in this wording is the word counselor. And in ancient Israel, a counselor was portrayed as a wise king, giving guidance to his people. And so Christ's position as our wonderful counselor really means that we can trust him with our difficulties and with our struggles, that we can trust him to really guide us in the right direction because left to our own, there is no right direction in us. And so he is a wonderful counselor who directs us rightly. And so let me tell you this, if you don't know Jesus personally or you've forgotten this truth about Jesus, Jesus understands our pain and our sorrow. This is something that's clear of scripture. 
especially in Isaiah 53, that Jesus is familiar with pain, with imprisonment, with intense suffering, with rejection, with poverty. He is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so there is no better counselor than Jesus. There is no one better who understands what you walk through, what you have walked through, and what you will walk through. That it is only Jesus who comforts, who who guides, who encourages, and strengthens, and gives us the ability to conquer whatever trial or temptation we face. And so it is Jesus who can teach us and who we can trust to walk in victory over sin throughout life. This is what's clear of Romans 8.37, that we are more than conquerors, that Christ is the victor that has set us free, who has come then to give us life. See, last week we talked about how we need to be rescued, that this is why God sent Jesus into the world to rescue us from darkness and death, to bring us into light and give us life. See, in verse six, Jesus is also called everlasting father. Now, this doesn't suggest that the son is also the father. Each person in the Godhead is distinct. And I want you to understand that rightly because it's really important how we both see prophecy and how we see the Godhead. And so among the Jews, what we need to understand about this verbiage is the word father means originator or source. And so, for example, in John 8, 44, It tells us that Satan is the father of lies, the originator of lies. And so notice here that Jesus is not just called father here, but everlasting father, source of eternity. And so let me tell you this. He is the source of eternal life. There is no life without Jesus Christ. And and one of the most theologically rich, beautiful texts that is both simple and true of the gospel message is John 3.16. In fact, I think we've we've posted this too much on coffee mugs that we've lost that, that, that beautiful depth of this text, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, here's, here's what I know to be true. Life is short. Life is incredibly short. And the older I get, the more I learn this, especially as a father. So you may be looking at me and going, hey, could you just be quiet for a moment, you young pastor, because I'm getting older. You don't have gray hairs yet. When you got grays, let's talk. But, but what I know is life is short. And, and as I inch towards getting older, Especially as a father, I know that life is short, it's fragile, and things move very quickly without any of your control. And the harder you try to control it, the faster it feels it moves. And so for me, one of the ways that I've actually seen that is transitioning into being a lead pastor. Because you deal with more death and illness and brokenness. There's, in youth ministry, when I was doing youth and college ministry, you see uh, types of, of brokenness, of types of illness, but they're not like that of those that are older. So in, in youth ministry, you deal with uh, kids that you're hoping will come to know Christ. You're dealing with parents who you hope will invest more in their child, but when you become more of, of an adult pastor, you deal with death more. 
you deal with uh, the quickness, loss of life, where, where it's not just a, a student walking in and say, grandma died, but it's all of that and more. Where, where it's the abrupt uh, brother who died in a car accident. It, it's the dad who went to bed and didn't wake up the next morning. I mean, there are things that in, a, in the pastorate you begin to see and you feel the darkness and the depravity of our flesh. And in that, you feel that life is short. You feel the shortness of life. And so here's, here's what I want to say about that. If, if we're honest this morning, if you who have not truly trusted in Jesus as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace, you are without true life and you are still walking in darkness. And so if you are still in darkness and you are still trying to find and fill some kind of void for your life, can I just tell you this morning that Jesus is the promise. The very thing that was promised to fill that void that you fill. And I think for all of us, both believer and non-believer, I think we can all identify with the feeling hopeless, the, the helplessness and the desperate need for rescue, especially when it comes to the weight of our sin. And, and so our brokenness and, and darkness is heavy and inescapable, that we know its effect with every breath, every step of life. We can feel how short it is, and there's a longing within us that sometimes we don't even understand that it's Jesus, that our world is full of evidence that something is wrong. Something is still wrong without Jesus and our need. What is our need? But that void you're trying to fill will never be satisfied by anything other than Jesus that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the son that has come to save sinners, make right the separation between God and man. And so let me just tell you, like I said, life, as, as I've seen how short life is and being a father, ne- next month, my son's gonna be two. Which is weird because I remember the first time I, I taught my first message um, announcing to you, hey, he's born. That feels like last week. And, and so he's two years old, which means terrible twos. So now you know, pray for me. But here's the thing. He's cute and he's fun and he's difficult and he's wonderful. But in all seriousness, I could not imagine promising to send my little boy to die for you. I could not imagine that to promise that. Not just say, hey, if it gets bad enough, let's revisit that. But to promise that from the beginning, know that you'd get bad enough that he'd promise that. That's what God did. He promised him to save you. So can I just tell you, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus for eternal life, don't wait another day. Because you have no guarantee that you will have the opportunity tomorrow. 
You have no idea. In fact, there have been pastors that have preached this type of message and breathed their last breath as God drops them dead in the service and brings them home. There have been people who have thought about making a promise, gone home, and, and that's the end. And so I'm not, I'm not in any way wanting to scare you and give you some fear tactic that hopefully you then lean in to do the Christian thing. I'm, I'm asking that you take seriousness, the, how fragile your life actually is and how much you can never do it on your own. This is why God has promised a savior because it's not some behavior that you needed to reform or to fix. It's a savior you needed. And so we have a great need for a savior. And what God has promised in Jesus, he's now fulfilled. That Jesus is the one, in fact, the only one who fulfills this prophecy. And, and, and in my study, I want to go so much just Old Testament to New Testament. If we have time together, I just want to unpack that for you, how much Jesus is seen through all of that and how God has promised him to you. But maybe your question is, would Jesus really save me? You talk about darkness, you talk about depravity, but you don't get what I've done. You don't get what I recently did and you don't get what's going on in my mind. No, I may not, but God does. God does. And that is why he sent his perfect son, why he promised him that that knowing full well what you have done the darkness and the depravity that dwells within you without Christ. He sent his perfect son and was pleased to crush him on the cross to bring light to you. And so if you're asking, would Jesus really save me? Yes. Yes. If you would repent, if you would believe in him, you would receive life that Jesus would save you. Because when he came into this world as a humble child, he came to redeem us. Think about that. I think all of us, when we're trying to fill that void, we're trying to look for something that's not there. And we're trying to picture this perfect ideal that's wrapped up in our own Western culture. It's not rooted in scripture. And so this is one of the beautiful truths about God sending his son as a baby. They're, they're looking for this mighty, six-pack, ab, ripped-out king, and he comes as a baby. Going, I've come to save you from your own darkness and depravity. And so what Christ has done is he's met our desperate need. And so let me ask you, have you trusted in him as your savior? Have you trusted in him as your savior? See, there's a, um, a Christian devotional author, Roy Lesson, who once wrote, if our greatest need had been an information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. And if our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent a savior. Jesus is our perfect Savior, our wonderful counselor, 
our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace who has come to redeem us and will come again to rightly rule over us. So let me ask you, have you trusted in him as your Savior? Are there things that you've tried putting to fill that void that just isn't working? Let me tell you, friends, it will never work because the only thing intended to fill that void in your soul is Jesus, who is our perfect Savior. So have you trusted in him as your Savior? Let's pray.